it. Good guy to study. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Mentor. How are we doing? Oh well. Hello. Hi. Shall I just start? You just. Oh, I got notes for you, fellas. Okay. I suddenly realised. Reason, the reason I did printed notes for this is just the outline. Basically, it's the outline of what goes on the screen because what I found was that people were so busy writing what's on the screen, no one really listened. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's two pages, okay? There's two double-sided pages, and I think they go like one, two, one, two, that's like that, okay? Okay. So you get the whole thing at once, and you can read through the outline, and if you get it, then you can like then you can go and sleep you know have another sleep but no you probably want to listen to the expansion so this is pretty well the outline that's going up on the screen minus of course the pictures and the videos and the songs so we'll do it all multi multimedia what are you trying to say <laughs> higher hold it higher oh you do hold down there it, Oh, you got to hold it like this, like if you if you really. You you have to get <laughs> and then if you're leading worship, you clap on your your elbow. <laughs> hold it like an ice cream. <laughs> okay. So here we go. Full screen. I am so blessed. I don't know what was wrong. Last time. Okay, so this is quick. Okay, you can't do 2,000 years in two hours, but we're going to try. Okay? 2,000 years in two hours. A and <laughs> let's do this thing, right? And um, there's, there's really two kind of strands. You know, when Lauren Curran Cunningham teaches, he, he teaches like, like four messages in one. He kind of jumps around from this, apparently, and he even, he even says that. He, he, he goes at different things. So that we're looking at two things here. Christian worship, now worship here I'm using in the terms of meetings, okay? So the way when Christians gather, they do this. So we're going to look at what they did when they gathered for their church meetings, okay? So that's worship in that context. And we're also going to look at church music, okay? So what kind of music did they do in their meetings? So we're going to look at how they did their meetings, and what kind of music they did. So there's two threads, okay? Two stories, two stories going through this, okay? What was their, in other words, what was their content, what did they do, and then how did they do it, okay? Now, you might ask the question, why look at history? So I'll just throw up a few questions. You don't need to write this down. In fact, you, in fact what I see, you notice on the right-hand side, there's a nice space. That's you, where you write down things that, oh, that was cool, I'll write it down, okay? So, but you don't need to write all the thingy mods. So if I see you writing on the paper, that's really cool because that means I must have said something. Uh, 
Yeah. Okay. So that's what the gaps are for. Or you can do it in your notebook. Okay. Okay. Why? Well, there's one interesting. You discover your roots. Uh, you find out that actually we are sitting on generations past. Yeah. You know, you're that naturally, right? And when you just—I don't know if you've ever discovered your roots. You know, I—I I, I just bought this family tree program, and, and you know, I am a Norris. You know. And that goes back for years and years and years and years. I think I think the earliest records we've got is in the 1700s. So my great 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 grandfather, I didn't know who he was, you know. So I know that I'm a Norris, you know. And um, and now there's now I'm seeing I've just seen my third generation under me now. Um, so Lily is now you know got great 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 you know, way back. So you find out what you, it gives you a sense of identity. Okay, that's one thing. It keeps us humble. Now, what do I mean by that is if you think what we're doing now is it, you know, you realize that, no, God has done many things in many centuries, and we are not the only ones, who, you know, who are hip, you know, <laughs> okay? God has done many, many things throughout, uh, throughout the century. And when you you, sometimes you think anything in the past is gone, is dead, it's over, we are the young hip ones, you know. Um, it keeps you humble knowing that God has been touching and moving uh, in 2,000 years uh, since Jesus um, came to earth. It also gives you keys to understand where you're at. You know, why, why do we do what we do? You know, the format of a Thursday night meeting or an IHOP meeting for us, I was watching an IHOP meeting, I thought, there it goes again. Format, same format, to know where that came from. <laughs> why do we do what we do? And there is reasons. We've all come from different s situations. If you're from, like, Sweden, you, uh, if you're a Lutheran, you go, well, why do, why do Lutherans do what they do? There's a reason. And so you can understand where you came from. Um, you don't want to change something if you don't know why it was there in the first place. Ooh, that's, that's a wise thing. Okay? Understand why you do something before you can change it. Whoa, that's actually quite important. Yeah. I, I notice sometimes that people want to change things in the school of worship, but they don't really understand why it was put there in the first place, okay? And so, um, yeah, you can understand why we do what we do. And you can also look into the future. If you understand, uh, so if when you look at history, you can, you can project into the future because, because history has this amazing ability to repeat itself. And so, but there's an interesting characteristic of history now is that uh, it's kind of compressing. When you look at 2,000 years, you know, things, things that go on for 600 years and wouldn't change, now they go on for like one month and everything's changed. So, um, well, not quite, but, you know, it's, it also keeps us balanced um, to think, yeah, I guess. And it can actually warn us of possible trouble. So there's a few ideas I wrote down why, why do this. So we're going to, like, span it give us an understanding of where we're at. For me, the study of history helped me because the big question for me was, you know, um, is rock music of the devil? Okay? So people would slam all these things, yeah, look at Black Sabbath, look at this, look at the lifestyles of the, these guys are all druggies and drunk and everything and see, you shouldn't play their music because you'll end up like them, all right? So big question for me, uh, when I was 18, 19, 20, and I didn't really get an answer until I looked at history. And I found that when you look at history 
and you find that whenever new music was introduced, there's a uh, resistance. And the other thing I found out, when the Holy Spirit moves, is usually new music comes out. So when new music comes out, the Holy Spirit does something, then there's this backlash and criticism. And when you find that the same story has happened right through history, then I realized, oh, this rock music thing, it's just, it's just the, the, the old people looking for a reason to stop us doing the new thing. And, um, and it really helped me understand, by looking at history, helped me understand the struggle that we were going through as a generation to bring modern music into the church. And some of you have been involved in worship wars. Anyone been involved in worship wars? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's an answer to it. And for me, history is really probably the best answer. You see the same things. Lauren Cunningham is kind of funny. He, he reads this thing. He, he, quote, he quotes this guy um, criticizing the new music. And he said, that was written in 1750 or something. <laughs> and the same thing that's said, you know, in, in 1970 it was said in 1770, <laughs> criticizing anything new. Okay, so, so history actually, so that gave me confidence that no, it's, it's the same old story. These people, you know, it's not, a, it's not, about, um, uh, it's not about the music. Okay, so let's, let's have a look first of all at uh, what was worship like in the New Testament, like the book of Acts, and we'll start from there and go on. Okay. Um, what, they, what they did first is they met in homes. Okay, now you've got that on your sheet. See, met in homes. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So you can draw a little picture of a house and, and uh, in your notes. And Okay. Anyone been to home churches? Yeah, home groups, home groups. It was just like that. And basically what they had was uh, they'd, often, they'd often have a, um, like pull a wall down or something and have a slightly big, big room for, for meeting with some more people. They had, and this is really got, you can see this from the book of Acts, they, they had teaching, the apostles' teaching, okay, they had fellowship, they hung out, they broke bread. Now, that was a really important thing. Jesus sort of instituted this thing, and they did it. Um, and I've, I've always, still a big question for me, you know, is a communion service, was that just a normal meal? Because it was, it was a Passover meal that he did it at. Or, or is it this sort of religious thing that you do in church with little cups and... <laughs> Whatever, or in Wayam here, where you get a piece of bread and you dip it in, and you get a, a piece of red soggy bread that you've got to eat. You know, it's like <laughs> 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 that's Wayam style. But they started it then. So for me, I don't know whether maybe it's more natural to do it as a whatever. But I, it's been done for so long, I couldn't really argue with it. They prayed and they sang, but th what they sang was culturally Greek. I don't know. <laughs> You know, you, you hear this sort of Jewish music, you know, Hava, Nogila, that stuff. Actually, that's not what they were like. They didn't sing like that then. That's a kind of an Eastern European thing of about the 17th century. So what you think is Jewish music had nothing to do with what they were doing then. They was, their culture was Greek in, when it came to music. Okay, How did that sound? I don't know. There's no CDs from that era. Um, and most people have got a guess. So they didn't really write the music. I mean, writing music with notes didn't come until centuries later, so no one really knew, okay? Okay, so, so you can get that, you can see that from Acts chapter 2, you know, with meeting together in homes, fellowship, uh, really celebrating, celebrating the Lord's uh, resurrection, like we did this morning, forever he, man, did she start singing that low or what? Do you have trouble with the keys sometimes? I have trouble with the keys. <laughs> what? What? 
what's the first line? I was like, oh my God, I was looking down there. And then so, so the only way out of that, you either got to sing harmony, which I'm not very good at, or you jump an octave. So I jump an octave, and then she jumps an octave, and then we're out of, you know. I, have you tried it? You listen. <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah, really. Yeah. So when I when I led worship, I tried like because I'm not a super singer or anything. I tried to pitch it at at the general people, and I and people say, "Oh, you're awesome worship." Probably just because I pitched it right, you know. And and you know what I would do is I'd see what I'd see how it was written, and then drop it down a couple. That would be my rule. That would be my rule of thumb, and that probably covers most people. So how do we get onto that? Okay. Early Christian worship. Okay, we're racing 300 years, okay? They met in, once again, they met in houses or they converted houses. And they kept this biblical tradition. Of their, their, their meeting was rooted in the living, dying, and rising of Jesus. They, they, they centered around, he's, victor- he's victorious, he's victorious. And it was all about um, Jesus. And they stressed the overthrow of the powers of evil, which is really interesting because for 300 years, why, why did they do that? Because they were under persecution. And when you're under persecution, you know, evil is, evil is very strong, you know. So, um, they, so overcoming the enemy was a big deal. You know, their friends were dying. You know, they were being killed. I mean, Paul was going, Saul, you know, before Paul, he was going around killing people. They stoned Stephen, okay. So they're very aware that evil was coming against them. So overthrowing evil was a big deal for them. They, they suffered persecution, but under persecution, they grew. Okay. But in, in the early 300s, like it was about 320, the emperor of Rome, who was, this is a big deal, okay? Emperor Constantine was converted. Now, some, some people say, was he really converted or was this a political move? Because Christians were growing and growing and growing, and it may be that he thought, well, if I can't beat him, join him. So he became a Christian, and yet he kept things like Christmas and Easter, which were pagan festivals. So he kind of blended pagan festivals with Christianity, which is why we still have Christmas and Easter today, which is pretty sick. But anyway, they are, I mean, not having Christmas and Easter is bad, but the fact that they're um, pagan festivals. Did you, know, you did know that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we just sort of Christianized, and it was Constantine Christianizing. He, he actually organized the first um, big conference to figure out the right, good, you know, theology. The Nicene Creed was, was they had that big conference, and Constantine ran the show. He was the emperor of Rome, and he ran the thing. And what he didn't agree with didn't happen. So it was kind of a political thing. But what happened was now it became popular to be a Christian because he allowed, instead of being persecuted, he allowed Christians, okay? So no more persecution in Rome, okay? They didn't throw them to the lions anymore and the gladiators, okay? So they stopped doing that. And the government actually gave these things called basilicas, these big halls, these big gathering halls. The government actually gave them to Christians. So they stopped gathering in houses and started to have these big meetings and informality started to be replaced by theater what do we mean by that so they had these big meetings and we got to watch this in YWAM too that we don't have it's our meetings aren't all theater if you know what I mean is that a hand or 
I, I know it's a hand, but is it up? Yeah, that that it did it did did look quite bad. Yes, in some places, yeah, that's true. But it was, you know, yeah, and, and that's the thing. If 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 you become successful financially because you're now a Christian, you know, before Christians couldn't get the good jobs, now they could. So so now it was politically uh, advantageous to become a Christian. But before, it's like if you become a Christian, you better watch it. You know. It's kind of like being a Christian in Saudi Arabia, you know, it's like not easy, okay? But, okay, the worship then, their meetings became highly ordered. Things, um, they organized everything. Instead of like informally gathering over a meal and sharing and praying for one another and teaching the word, uh, they started to have these big meetings, okay? And it tended to center around the clergy, like they were, they all they started began to dress up and they started organizing it and it was all about you know the the the, the priests the clergy whoever <laughs> and they 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 got all elaborate and they started to look like this and this is kind of a Greek Orthodox right and so they started doing all these like robes and wearing all special stuff which is pretty much Old Testament deal okay we don't need that stuff but in the Old Testament God got the priests to dress up. So they're kind of shifting back to the Old Testament with, with becoming priests and wearing special clothes and separating themselves from the people. Like, we are the clergy, you are the lay people. And there's this big separation thing. But the sounds they started to make were kind of like this. What's that sound like? Yeah, sounds like Easter, and guess why? That's where they were. That's because it sounds kind of Muslim, you know, and like sounds like the guys from. But that they they sing in the cracks, you know. But like in India, they what are they call shooties or something. You know about shooties? No, that's singing in the in the gaps between the. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you know about that? Do you guys? You, you used to like. Shruti, I think, is is the notes that are in between the. Someone told me that, but no. yeah, but what was he saying? I think they were singing in Latin there, which was the language of Rome. Okay. Um, these dudes here, that's uh, Ethiopian church. Um, even today, they dress like that um, because, like, I don't know, it was the Ethiopian eunuch who went down and started that church, but. Um, they, they would dress up. Now, now we're sort of moving more to um, church music. And, and what happened was in, in about 600, the Pope, who was the head of the church in Rome, he decided what kind of music they would have because they, they, he wanted to be separate. The music from the world, he decided, was going to be separate from the church. So there's church music and there's world music. And he wanted the two separate. He wanted holy music, and then there's this unholy music, okay? And so that he decided on a format, and the format was, uh, let's see. 
Well, when they they sang, you know, the notes on a re the regular notes on a on a piano, um, they they had no harmony and no rhythm, and only men could sing. Okay, so Mia, yeah, you're out, girl. Yeah. Okay, so remember, no no harmony and no rhythm. Can you imagine no harmony? No, so it started. So and they called us and. It, and they chanted their music, and they call it the Gregorian chant, which is the, the form of music in the church for hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay? It was separate from the world. And it sounded like this. Veni Sancti Spiritu, come Holy Spirit. That's Latin. I think this is a Spanish Benedictine guys who got on the hip parade or something. Yeah. Yeah. They are women, believe it or not. Like, this is a recording. It wasn't done in 600, okay? But this, but this format still remains. See, no rhythm, no harmony. Okay, what else we got here? Have mercy on me, Lord. Kiri song. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah, they can add harmonies, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, well, we have all kinds of stuff. We can do whatever we like now, yeah. With 24. Oh, no, no, no. Strict Gregorian is just this. And you, you, when you listen to that, you sort of, what picture do you get in your mind? What's that? Boy. <laughs> I, I picture guys in brown robes walking around, a, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not too good for the Africans, eh? I mean, they, they wouldn't go too well with this music, would they? <laughs> Do you think it's scary? Yeah. Actually, one of the tricks that, that you guys have to learn as international worship type people, YWAM worshipers, you've got to learn to appreciate all these different forms of music. And so can I, can I connect with the Lord with a song like this, you know, with this music? And it, and. It's almost as though you've got to open up your heart to let different music touch you, you know, and appreciate it. I remember my dad, my dad had all these uh, LPs of the Hallelujah, no, the, the, the Messiah. And uh, I thought, I'd, I'd never listened to sort of classical choir music before, and I thought, I'm going to start listening to this. To and the more I listened to it, the more I thought, hey, this isn't bad. <laughs> so I, ex I actually got to like it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and now they kind of, they jazz it up a bit with drums and bass guitars and things, you know. Yeah. Oh, you got the straight up one? Yeah, it's good. It's good, yeah. Okay. Okay, let's jump, uh, let's jump 900 years. We're really making progress, aren't we? Okay. So this is the trend. 
Their, their worship, their, their gatherings, their meetings became more formal. They did a lot of, by theater, I mean, you know, they dress up and do all kinds of, you know, wonderful, crazy things. And clericalization, big fat word for meaning the, the bosses did it all, you know. I mean, the priests, it was all centered around what they did, okay. The spirit and the form of the New Testament worship was lost, okay. Reading and preaching fell away. They didn't read from the word and they didn't preach, and worship was taken away from the people. This is, this is the trend. This is what was happening. The mass was said in Latin. Mass meaning the, the communion, if you like. was the, the church services were said in Latin, and it wasn't even the people's language. So if you were German, okay, you went to church, and you heard everything in Latin, which you didn't understand. But because you're a Christian, you won't sit there and... And the interesting thing, then, singing was done by special choirs. You didn't sing. There was no singing. But the, the people didn't sing, okay? The people didn't hear preaching, okay? So what did they do? They became spectators, okay? This was the trends in, through the medieval era. And you think, how terrible, but guess what? Our worship can easily, easily center around the rock star, and we can become spectators too. So when I saw that, I thought, yeah, here, here is a lesson for today that we don't become spectators. What I liked about um, the Waywan Basin in Jeju, you know, apart from the hallelujah, amen, but uh, no, no, they don't do it, it was the churches. What, in, in, their, in their Thursday night meeting that they have in, in Jeju, you walk in the room and you can actually hear the people singing. And I saw, I, I remember I saw a blog by a guy and he said, why people don't sing anymore? Well, it's, it's, I know it's a slight exaggeration, but you, you tr have you ever looked around on the Ohana court? Not everyone's actually singing and you can't, often you can't hear us singing. So sound people, by the way, anyone here controlling sound? Please, please do not turn the lead vocalist up so loud that you can't even hear yourself sing, okay? They just need to be loud enough so that you can hear them, that's all. Not loud enough to dominate. I think, just a little aside, I think Thursday, whoever was leading it was so stinking loud that you can't, I couldn't hear myself, okay? Does that matter? It's not about what's going on at the front. They have to be loud enough that you can take your cues from them. It's not their performance to us, okay? It's you've got to get the people singing. And if the band is so loud and if the guy on the drums is hitting the cymbals so stinking loud that you can't even hear yourself, okay, then you're going too fast. So you become a, so you shut off singing and just watch. And I've seen, I've seen this not just here but other places. We, we have to watch that. Is it true? Is that true? Yeah. Okay. If it's a performance, yeah, if you're listening to them, fine. If it's a concert, whatever, Turn, crank it up. Like, you know, when you guys do song presentation, it's all about the, what you're doing behind the microphone, okay? But in worship, it's not about what's going on behind the microphone. It's, what, it's, what's, it's what's happening on the other side of the microphone that's important, okay? And you're there just to serve them, to draw out of them and, and let, let, let us hear the sound. And if we're cranking, sometimes it's good to be really loud, but what I try to do all the um, often is, and I think most worship leaders here will do this. Will will pull back and let and let you know, 
like just the drums or just, just the acoustic guitar and, and let everyone hear themselves singing. But the acoustics of the Ohana court don't help either. <laughs> so because all that sound's just disappearing out there. But up here, um, it's, a lot, it's a lot better. Um, but even then you can, sorry, I'm getting somewhat sidetracked, aren't I? But, but it just does relate to people becoming spectators. And we have to watch the same kind of thing, that it's all about the guys at the front performing. Okay. Uh, some songs from this era. Who's heard this song before? All the old, yeah. Okay. The song was written by Francis, St. Francis of Assisi, in the, like in the 1200s, right? <laughs> but the music, that music is a little early, uh, later than that. So the music is, I don't know when the music was written, but those, those words were sung in the, those words were written in, in the 13th century. And this sounds a little, this has got a like slight Gregorian chant sound to it, except that they dunk in some harmony, but th these words were written in the, in the medieval times. Wait for the harmony, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. Oh my gosh, harmony, oh my gosh, sinful, it's of the devil, no, <laughs> harmony is of the devil. Yeah. Yeah. This is 12th century, so these these songs are like really old. Okay. Now a big change happened. Now I'm not too sure how familiar you are with history. History. Um, but when, because, because the clergy were so powerful and the people were just not connecting, it was all, the, the priests would, um, uh, they would do everything. They were basically controlled uh, people's lives. Um, and what, what happened was that there was so much corruption in the, in the, the, the church and, and they, they, would they would even charge money to, um, to, they had this thing called purgatory, which was halfway between heaven and earth. When you died, you go to the, they invented this thing in between heaven, uh, between earth and heaven. And what you did is you paid, you paid for your, for your sins and then went to heaven. And what they did was, um, they charged people money because if they gave money to the church, then your, then your loved ones would not have to spend so much time in between in this purgatory time. So a lot of the cathedrals in Europe were built by these things. They call them indulgences. In other words, you pay money to, to, to get rid of sin. You're kidding me. They still do that? Oh, they're Catholics. Mex yeah, Mexico is Catholic. Yeah. But not the, they still do the money thing? Or? Oh, purgatory, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, heaven or hell, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so there's a lot of, 
so they'd got further and further away from Scripture, you know, from, from, the, from the, you know, Book of Acts, you know, the New Testament times. But there was, um, the, the Reformers at this, this stage, um, uh, John Calvin and Martin Luther, okay, one was a Frenchman, Calvin was a Frenchman and Luther was German. And, um, and Calvin actually ended up in Geneva in Switzerland, but he was actually French. Um, they, they basically uh, objected to all these unscriptural practices and uh, pretty well rebelled against uh, the Catholic Church. And they wanted to return worship to the people. And they, they began preaching and reading the word in, the, in their services. Okay? But there was a big division here. So they pretty well break, broke away from the Catholic Church. So here's the first big division in the church. And in, 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 one, in one sense, what we're doing is we're looking at the church services, which is really we end up looking at church history, which is, you know, what's going on in the church. So you've got, you've got this branch branching off from the Catholic Church. So pretty well everyone here is Protestant, apart from the Mexicans, there are probably all, a lot of Catholics there. Um, anyone else brought up Catholic in here? So we're pretty much all, we all trace... <laughs> Oh, really? Which church? Oh, Orthodox. Oh, which Orthodox is it? Greek? Greek, Russian. There's Greek and Russian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a, that, and that's another story. The Eastern Church pretty well stayed the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they didn't go quite go off. The Orthodox didn't go off as much as the the Roman Catholics, for some reason, I don't know why, they, they, they kept their theology pretty straight, yeah, the Catholics went off, and therefore the Protestants broke off, so we're not really, actually, I'm not even talking about the Eastern Church here, this is basically the Western Church, okay. Oh, really? <laughs> selling land in heaven, yeah, <laughs> it's like selling the Brooklyn... Yeah. That, is, yeah. that is that's about as that's about as sensible as these people who sold the Brooklyn Bridge, you know. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't really own it. Yeah. So these reformers they disagreed over different ceremonies. Because they had so many ceremonies, you know, the Catholic Church was so, you know, into all these what we, we call it bells and smells, you know, they they have robes and um, swinging incense. Uh, you ever been to like a high church, you know, with the guys with the robes and the hats and the whole, the whole, all the gear and everything? Okay. They disagreed over vestments. That's the clothing, you know. The, the, the priests wore these special robes. They disagreed over that. Processions. They have these, you know, processions with the whole, you know, hold the, the big thing and they'd walk up, you know. You see this in uh, Westminster Abbey sometimes, you know. They have this big procession up the um, they they had candles. The like, Catholics big into candles, right? Go to Mexico, can Spain, man. I was in Spain. Candles everywhere. Candle city, man. <laughs> incense. They, they they burn incense, and they had this Christian year where they laid out all the different um, ev like every week you had specific readings. So um, so the Catholics had all this, and at, when the reformers said no, we're not we're going to break away from the Catholic Church. Um, one branch kept that, and one branch threw it all out, okay? 
So Luther and the Anglicans, they said they can be used, like you can still have all this stuff, because it's not forbidden. Okay? So Luther, Anglicans, if you've been to an Anglican church, well, there's high, there's high Anglicans and sort of regular Anglicans. The high, <laughs> the high Anglicans use this. Lutherans still have, who's Lutheran here? Yeah, they still have the, like the robe thing. They still do it, so they still have robes. What else do they do? They still have like service of the Christian year every week. Yeah, okay, so they kept that stuff. So they still have incense? The clothing, yeah, the, the robes. Uh, yeah, they have different... What's that? Oh, yeah, not as... Well, but they, they did keep it. They, they, they allowed the use of it. They gave... They have different, like, stoles, you know, like um, a friend of Liz's is an Anglican priest, and he wears these different colors for different times, you know. So they, they have these little, they have the white thing, and then they have this colored s- strip of thing goes up and around and down. A stole, I think they call it. Yeah. So that was, so if you're a Lutheran, you can understand that's where you came from. That was his philosophy. But John Calvin... Oh, and, and by the way, the Lutherans and the Anglicans were state churches, okay? I think still is, isn't it? The pastor's paid by the state, and they... Still state church. Oh, it's two state churches, okay. Uh, Anglican church is the state church of Britain, okay? Still the... the, the Queen, Queen Elizabeth is still the head of the church. So, yeah. Yeah. Separated now. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So Martin Luther, the German guy, he, he kept these things and he kept and they were they became a state church. But John Calvin broke away from the government and he broke away from it. Like he he'd like throw everything out, you know. And he said, only that which God prescribes in the New Testament can be used in worship. Only. So if, if the New Testament doesn't say wear robes, you don't have them, okay? The new, interesting thing was that the New Testament doesn't say you should have musical instruments. So he banned musical instruments from their church services. And I first met this personally when I was in Barcelona, Spain. <laughs> Barcelona, Barcelona, <laughs> where they say gracias. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we met, the, we, 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 in the Plaza de Catalonia, we, we'd get up there and we'd worship the Lord and, da, da, and then preach and stuff. And then we wandered around, we met these guys, these, other, these Spanish Christians, and they said, oh, why don't you come to our service? And they, they were Spanish gypsy Pentecostals. <laughs> Can you, what a combo. I mean, Spanish, right? Spanish, <laughs> gypsy, woo-hoo, Pentecostal, woo <laughs> It's like, can you imagine that combo? So, so we, so we said sure. So we trotted off to the, one of their church services.
They says, oh, no, no, you've got to leave that outside. I went, what? Oh, okay. So we left it outside. No instruments in this gypsy Pentecostal Spanish church. And I went, what the heck? This is crazy. wonder why. That's why. That's why. And there are still churches to this day in the U.S., Churches of Christ, I think it is, who still will not allow musical instruments because of this idea that if it's not specifically asked for in the New Testament, you shouldn't have it. So unfortunately, John Calvin and his crowd, when they got to Geneva, they had a pretty heavy hand. And so when I went to Lausanne and I saw this big cathedral looking, I I thought, I bet you that's a Protestant cathedral. And I thought, yes, and I found out it was. It was a Catholic cathedral, but then the Protestants took it over. So, and then what happened was that John Calvin and his crowd went round removing church organs from the cathedrals. Smashed the organs. No instruments. Yes, that's very sad. John Calvin and his crowd got rid of musical instruments from Lausanne. No, not lasagna. Lausanne. Just along from Geneva. Okay. And they're singing, they sang only psalms. Okay? No hymns. Hymns were verboten. Okay? No hymns. Why? <laughs> because, well, actually, there's no, whatever. And what, so what they would do, they would take the Psalms from the Old Testament and they'd, they'd chop them up and try to put them to music because they, didn't, they weren't written as, as songs, so they, they had to force the words into this music. So it they came out really gross, okay? It just didn't fit in it, didn't, didn't fit, okay? But they, that was their format for years and years and years. And I found out that the Presbyterian church, who Presbyterians follow this, this crowd, Calvin, uh, and Baptists and tend to go that way, um, they, the Presbyterian church only allowed hymns in, I think, 1820. Up until then, only psalms. So, you know, if you ever go to one of these churches, you can... You can cheer. And, and they removed all artistic things. So you go to a, a, a church that comes from John Calvin. You go to Lutheran. What do their churches look like? Do, do they have like pictures and art and stuff? Or? Yeah. What? They do? Okay. Cool. They do. But you go to a church that comes from where Calvin, like Presbyterian or Baptist, they're not really into art. In fact, their churches, um, so even the church architecture changed. So at the front of the church used to be like, like I know from the Methodist church, we had a communion table. Um, but Baptists and Presbyterians, the front of the church is the pulpit. And the, the preaching was the word, preaching the word was the big deal. And so they'd strip out all the um, artwork and so they're really anti-art. So, so when we look at history, we can see why, why we don't have it. And, and, and artwork is, you kind of get banners and things are kind of coming back into the church. And I think more, more people are kind of letting, you know, uh, le- letting color and sound and then come into the church. But they pretty well got rid of it all. Okay, hymns were forbidden. Yes. 
Yeah, 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 right. Because they said so. Yeah, I mean, that's about it, really. I mean, I, just, I can't, I mean, there's a, like, why get rid of instruments, you know? Same thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you got to remember, these guys are reactionary, right? They're, they're anti-Catholic, they're anti-everything that it stood for. So they didn't necessarily get it all, like, logical, you know. They, 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 they were just passionately anti-Catholic. I don't know if you've ever, you ever struck anyone who's passionately anti-Catholic? But they're actually, organ, there was organisations, I think, my, there's a bit in my family that had these, um, they have these little anti-Catholic organisations. There's one, there's one in England called the Orangemen. Have you ever heard of that, Sam? Have you heard of the Orangemen? Yeah, yeah, William of Orange, the Orange Men. It's like it's like a Freemasons and Orange Men. Yeah. Yeah, probably the same thing. They're anti-Catholic. Yeah, 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 and strongly, and they, and they got they got all these rude words for Catholics and everything. So, so that all stems from Cal Calvin. You know, but he was pretty anti-Catholic. I mean, for good reason, but he didn't have to be as mental as he was. Yeah. So. It's, it's, it's really interesting, this, this sort of reactionary thing. Uh, I, I'm noticing it over and over that, that, you know, you see something wrong, so you react and go the total opposite. It's like, so people sing songs about me, you know, <laughs> I want more, I want more, I want more. So someone this morning could have gone, oh, that's so me-centered. So now what we've got to do is say, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. See, that's a total reaction. Is it all about Jesus? No. Some of it's about us too. So you've got this from it's all about me to it's all about Jesus. Can you see how that swing from one to the other? From one extreme, you go to the other extreme. But worship is not about all about us, or is it all about Jesus? It's all about us <laughs> together. Okay? It's all about our response, which means you do have to deal with your emotions. You do have to deal with the way you feel but you center on Jesus as well. You don't, it's not one or the other. And so Calvin, once again, woof, right against. And when you react strongly against something, it's like when, you, when drums and bass guitar comes in, we react strongly against hymns. So everyone gets anti-hymn, anti-old hymns. Right? So you go from one extreme to the other. Okay, where are we doing? How are we doing? Okay, just a few hymns. Um, Martin Luther wrote hymns. He was a musician. So, see, once again, Luther was a musician, so he liked musical instruments. So, the Lutheran sort of stream likes musical instruments. It's kind of about half speed, isn't it? Does anyone? That's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, sorry for having... <laughs> That's the Mormons, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the Germans were the first ones to kind of come up with new hymns. So they, in, in Europe, anyway. I don't know what was going on in Africa at the time, but this is Europe, okay? So these are both German, Luther and Ricardo Bay. So the Reformation or this turning, the, the main thing about the Reformation was that, that people 
were able to have a faith in Jesus of their own. They didn't have to, they didn't have to, their sins didn't have to be um, forgiven by the priest. They, they could be forgiven by Jesus. You could have a personal relationship with Jesus and he, he could forgive you. But the church was pretty much, the, the Catholic church at that time was pretty much, you, you had to confess your sins to the priest and then the priest tells you, you've got to say five Hail Marys, two Our Fathers and then you'll be forgiven. Okay? That's the way it kind of went. So um, it was, so the big deal was it's the priesthood of all believers. In other words, we didn't need a priest to be between us and God. Um, Martin Luther pretty well says, you know, we can be justified by faith alone, not by works, not by saying all these things, okay? So that was the main thing. So it was a big deal, which is why we're all here today, Protestants, okay? Okay. Now, by free church, we mean um, not, not, the, not the state church, okay? So... So moving on from 1600 on, so the Reformation was in the 1500s, okay, so things changed. From 1600 on, it was influenced by the Enlightenment. Now, I'm not too sure how many of you, in, in this. I don't want to go too much into what that was, but what it meant was it was a, re it was a return, uh, it was almost a getting rid of medieval um, su uh, superstition and science was starting to rise up, you know, mathematics and physics and chemistry were starting to emerge and people were starting to think through things. You know, they, they realized that the church wasn't, I mean, <laughs> the church, the world wasn't flat and the, and the earth revolved around the sun. So the, there were all these scientific discoveries. But what was happening was that they were, there was once again this swing from superstition or spirit things, supernatural, to the natural. Okay? And so they were trying to have natural explanations for everything. Because they discovered that the church would uh, actually reacted against when, what's his name, Galileo, decided that the earth went round the sun, the church called him a heretic. <laughs> okay? So the church really wasn't on board. So what happened was that they all started to then believe science, and it still goes today that science is the god of the West right now. So we, we believe science more than we believe the word of God. And that started back then even in the 17th century, and it's just been moving steadily forward. So what happened was it was a rational approach. So in fact, they, it, was, it was all you know, teaching and Bible study was the big deal. And worship shifted from celebrating the death and resurrection of, to teaching about God from Scripture. So their church services were about teaching. And that was a big shift. Instead of celebrating Jesus' victory, they, they taught. So you go to church to be taught. But before, the whole communion service was about, was about rehearsing the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you, now you're forgiven. That was the message. That's why the communion service and even the Anglican communion service is all about being, you know, reminding yourself that Jesus died on the cross for you and now you're saved. But now... Their church services turned around to become just teaching. But at least the people did participate. But once again, it was all kind of in the head. And I think we're a bit there now sometimes and that our, our church services are all about teaching. But what happened was 
getting towards you know the late 1700s or the mid mid 1700s it became just too intellectual it was all about study and you know greek and hebrew and all this stuff and there was a longing for feeling centered worship and this is, i think this happened uh, in last century there was a longing for people to feel god's presence okay rather than just sit there and get preached at all the time okay and what happened was there was the arrival of this evangelistic service, okay, where they had a preaching and an invitation. Now, the f this kind of came into popularity. It was actually not just uh, 18th century. It's actually early 19th century. And the revivals in, um, in New England where, where they, would, they would sing, they would have a lot of singing, then they would preach an evangelistic message, and then they would have people come forward and get saved, okay? And that was their church service. And this form is well known today, okay? Singing, preaching, and invitation. It's really interesting. I was down in Australia um, teaching, and, and I went to my son's church. It was a Hillsong church in Newcastle, Australia. Exactly this format. Singing, preaching, and then right at the end, an invitation to anyone who wants to get saved. You go to IHOP, their, their morning uh, service on Sunday morning. I, I, w I was watching, the l I, was, I was up early <laughs> on Sunday morning, so I tuned into IHOP. About 45, 50 minutes maybe singing. We call it worship, but you know what it is, okay? It's singing. <laughs> okay. Singing. Then teaching, Mike Pickle teaches. And then, okay, anyone want to respond? Come forward and line up. So there it is again. Singing, preaching, invitation. Think of our Thursday night meeting. What, how does it go? Singing, speaking, invitation. And then we kind of tack on a bit. Of, and, the, and the invitation at the end usually tacks on a bit of singing. We say, oh, we're going to end with worship. That format started way back here. Now, the problem is, especially, especially you know, you've, heard, you've seen these like revival meetings, Anyone, like, it's an American sort of thing, you know, where they have a big tent and, you know, or, or a Billy Graham crusade. Have you ever been to anything that looked like that? Okay. They, they do exactly that. Billy Graham crusade started with, they have singing, then he would preach. And then our church services started to look like that. Our church services no longer centered around the death and resurrection of Jesus and worshiping him to preaching to people. And, and so, you know, well, how do you get people saved? You take them to church and you get preached at. And so instead of worship, it became evangelism. Um, our ones now, even though you're not, ev you're not too much evangelizing on a Thursday night here, but you're, you're, <laughs> you're preaching missions. See, what, what do you preach in, on a Thursday night here in Wayram? We preach world missions. That's what we preach, right? Yeah? Come on. That's what we do, right? So, so the response is, who's going to give their whole life to do this? You, you'll hear this over and over again on Thursday night. It's not the only, it's not the only thing, but that's the general view. Okay, that's, we're, not, we're not trying to get people saved on a Thursday night, are we? Do we ever ha have anyone, anyone like to give their life to Jesus? Do we have that? I can't think of any time where we have that invitation to get saved. It's... So, but the format is still the same. Singing, 
preach world missions <laughs> or, or pray or whatever and then respond. What was the, We had that four prayer thing last Thursday night. What did we do at the end? There wasn't an invitation, was it? I'm trying to think. Or was it just let's worship? It was just singing, was it? Yeah. So and although there's different, form, the, the general flow is that. Give as a as a response, yeah. But I guess what we were preaching, what we were preaching there was, you know, the less fortunate, the hunger, persecuted, the hungry, that kind of thing. So that was the message. Will you respond to that? Okay. So once again, it was a preach and a response. Okay. Sing, preach, respond. Okay. Now I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just saying recognize where it comes from. Okay. And it's uh, interesting that, in fact, this this one blog that I that I read, he 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 actually he actually blamed one of the revivalists from the the New England revivals in a you know in the 19th century the what do they call it the Great Awakenings in in New England. He actually blamed some of those guys for actually changing the way church services ran. Okay, so they centered around getting people saved. And what they would do is they'd ha- he'd ha- he'd call it an an anxious bench, <laughs> so he would have this seat up the front that if you were feeling convicted you had to go and sit on it until you were severe, um, sufficiently convicted to g- actually get saved, and people would be groaning. You know, and this is Charles Finney and revivals. Thousands of people get saved. I mean, the U.S. is the U.S. today because of revivals like this, the Great Awakenings, Jonathan Edwards, and then later on with um, Charles Finney. In fact, it was, it was Finney people who came to Hawaii. It was guys who got saved in that revival that sailed out on the 30th. So, you know, why, why were there universities like Harvard and Yale? It was because of that. They were Christian universities be- because of those revivals. But they changed the, what the church service was doing. For, for a thousand years, for 1,500 years, they, they met for, for the Eucharist, communion, the Mass, if you will, where they centered around Jesus dying on the cross for us, we are free. That, that was the worship, okay? But now it's to do, now it became, hey, let's get saved. So there would be, so they were, they changed from intellectual to feeling, so people's, people were moved in their emotions and they came forward. So there was great, in fact, in Jonathan Edwards in the U.S. and his revival in New England, it was very, uh, <laughs> there were all kinds of emotional outbursts and manifestations of jerking, falling over, and all that kind of stuff. And in fact, he got a lot of criticism for it. But it, in fact, and he, and he even set out a, a list of um, criterion, is this the work of God? And so I, I still use that now as an example of, you know, what is the... <coughs> If the Holy Spirit is working, you know, if someone's jerking on the floor, laughing, rolling around, doing something crazy, is it God or is it the, the devil? How do you find out? I still use Jonathan Edwards' list. Does the person love Jesus more? Do they love reading the Word more? Are they, do they have a greater love for one another? Do they have a greater love for the lost? And if all of those things are happening, it's a work of God. The devil doesn't want you to love the Word of God, love one another. So... If a, move, if, a, if a move is happening, you know, if you're rolling around on the floor laughing or shaking or whatever, and you, you get up loving Jesus more, it's a pretty good idea that it's a work of God. Okay? 
You like that? I think it's so those are the things that Jonathan Andrew would do. So things happen in those services. I mean, it was a work of God, but it did change the culture of church services. And, um, and it sort of made me think, well, you know, if I, was, if I started a church, what would I, what would I do? You know? I'd probably, I'd probably prefer, if I was going to start a church, I'd probably, I'd probably prefer to have a little house church and do what I did when, in our youth group. We'd sing a few songs, pray for one another, share the word, you know, and share our lives with one another and start praying for one another, bless one another, you know. Pretty much like what it seems, it's hard to tell what the New Testament guys were like. But having these evangelistic meetings, you know, is it evangelism or is it worship? What is it? <laughs> and was it next week you're going to have what's um, Mark talk about, you know, worship evangelism? Well, so my question always is, well, what is your aim with your music? Are you, are you trying to get people saved or you're trying to get them to worship the Lord? Okay. If, you, if you're singing to get people saved, I call that evangelism. I don't care what you're singing. If you're singing to get people saved, it's called evangelism. It goes back to what is your motive for your singing? If you're singing to attract people to the Lord, I call that evangelism. If you're singing to get people to worship the Lord, who would you do that for? You only, you only lead Christians to worship. Okay? You don't lead. Oh, but I'm just worshiping. <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm not even too sure about this change. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Change the atmosphere. I mean, let's shift the demons around or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, 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 I'm still open about that. I, I really, I'm, I'm, I really don't. I'm not sure about worshiping to shift to to chase demons away, or bring God more more of God. One, I, I don't see that as a command in Scripture. So, but I'm, I'm not going to say that, that you know. I mean, I, I've stood in Plaza de Catalonia in Barcelona, you know, and we worship the Lord. But why did we do that? Actually, you know, the real reason for that was to actually attract a crowd, and then we would preach. So were we worshiping the Lord? Well, sort of, but what was our motive? To attract a crowd. So if you're singing to attract a crowd, you're not fully focused on worship. Are you? If your motive is to attract a crowd... Yeah, you just keep worshiping, wouldn't you? I mean, I don't know. It's you, you just got to think about that, you know. Yeah. See, I'm all for interceding for people, but I, I'm not too sure how much worship is going to change their, the effectiveness of their evangelism. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm saying I'm not sure. But I'm convinced that intercession changes things. Prayer changes things. Okay? I'm not too sure what worship does in the heavenlies. I'm not sure. Because it's... You'd be you could say, well, I've tried this and it works. Well, fine. But to actually show it from Scripture is not that easy. Yeah, but what about David playing and it shifts the demons? Well, you know, what about that, you know? 
Um, what about Jehoshaphat when the singers went first? It doesn't say God didn't tell them to sing. Okay? Jehoshaphat and the people decided. Jehoshaphat decided that they were going to put the singers first. It wasn't, it wasn't God's strategy. God's strategy... Have I done this before? I'm sure I've told you this before. Yeah, yeah. So to actually... And I know this is a big deal. It is a big deal. How do we get on this? It is a big deal in YWAM that you worship to shift the atmosphere. What is shifting? Yeah, what is shifting up there? I don't know. You'd be hard-pressed to prove anything about what's going on up there. But it does shift the atmosphere in our hearts, yeah. changes us but does it change the jerk 10 feet away it might i don't know it may do yeah i agree there is an atmosphere in there yeah 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 it is yeah, I, I, rem- I totally. I remember the first time I walked in that, into I, I went through those doors at IHOP and I went, whoa. You know, p- people, people come up this driveway and say as soon as they come up the driveway, they f- sense something different. Well, what is it? Is it worship? Is it worship? That's a good question, you know. And so, you know, I'm, I'm all for worshipping in, like, in Nepal. And, uh, we, we send a team to Lhasa, Tibet, you know, with a, like, the high, that is the highest place, like 14,000 feet. No, literally, it's the high place of Tibetan Buddhism, you know, and we send a team right there. And, um, you know, so you worship. I don't, I don't know what it does. And... And I think the only, possibly the only thing you can do is is try it and sense it. But I'm 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 kind of I don't want to make a big deal of something that isn't plainly taught in Scripture, the main and the plain. What are we mainly and plainly taught about um, about praise and worship? Thank and praise. Thank and praise is clear. Don't worship any other gods. Clear. Okay? Worship only God. Yeah. 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 Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I tend to I tend to agree that something changes when we worship, but I'm not too, you know I'm not too sure how or what. It's lo- it's almost as though wherever the, f- you, the every your feet walk, you know you claim 
you know, that you claim an area for God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I've just been doing this whole study on holy and, consec- you know, dedicating. You know, so we could dedicate a place specially. Like, we have dedicated this place upstairs for worship and prayer. And I know there's some, there's some people on this campus w- w- who would like to have teaching and seminars up there. Okay, and we said, no, it's for worship and prayer. So we've dedicated it for that. So we've set it aside for that. And you, I don't know, you go to Lhasa Tibet and you say, look, I'm going to claim this for Jesus, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I see, where I'm at at the moment, I'm not strong. I, I'm just asking questions. And I think there'd be a really good, I, especially seeing it's, it's quite big in YWAM, that, w- in fact, there's one YWAM base who does a school of worship where they basically say worship is a tool for spiritual warfare. And I'm going, it may well be, but that's not why you worship. You don't worship to shift demons. Okay? That's not why you worship. If it shifts a demon, great, but that's not, that's not worship. Worship is you're adoring God. If you, you, what is your motive to adore God? He's adorable. Okay, that is your motive. It's love. It's not to shift demons and it's not to change it. Now, what happens after that, who knows? But you, you, know, you don't sing songs to shift demons. But it may, it may well have that effect, you know? Yeah, just, just don't get me wrong, guys. I, I'm wrestling with this question too, you know, because I, I, I have to, you know, I actually go to teach at the, the school that, that basically the, the whole reason for having a school of worship is that it's like a, a tool for warfare. And so what they did is they divided up the city that they were in into, and they were going to go and intercede in all these places. Is that a good thing? Of course, go and intercede in all the, in all the like, districts of the city. But I'm thinking, what was that? That's a school of intercession. They were basically dividing up the city and they were... So their motive there is spiritual warfare through intercession, and that's, and to me, intercession is what it's all about. Okay, we got to pray. We got to pray, and I and I think it's it's probably prayer that shifts it, not not worship. Yeah. 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 Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 See, my, my struggle, I guess, in the last 25 years is I, I have this idea of worship. I, I call it a high view of worship. A low view of worship is we worship to warm the people up for the teaching. Or we worship to gather everyone. Gathering songs, warming up songs or songs to shift demons, that's all for something else. And I'm kind of thinking, my, my view of worship is that it's, it's for me and God only. It's not, for any other, it's not for any other reason. It might have other fruit, but if your motive is for any other reason, you know? Does that make sense to anyone? Like, that, that worship is us and God connecting in adoration, loving one another, for no other reason 
that's a, that, I guess that's a, all I can say is that's my view of worship right now, <laughs> okay? I, I can't even, you know, if I, I, or like Paul, I say, and I think I have the mind of Christ. Yeah, sure. Cool. So how do we get onto that? Oh, yeah, because what are, what are our church meetings for, you know? Are they for worship? That's why I like Monday morning. There's no other purpose for Monday morning than worship. It's just us and God. It's just, it's just the, yeah, and occasionally we do a prayer. I think it, it, it also has a prayer, but we don't seem to do much of it these days. But um, we weren't trying to do anything but love the Lord. Now, Thursday night has another reason, okay? There are other reasons, to hear, hear the word of the Lord. So, so in that sense, it's, you know, its purpose is different. But as long as you know the purpose of a meeting, okay? And so what's Sunday morning church for? I don't know. You know, I, w- I, would, I would say it's for us to meet with God, not for get, getting people saved. But if people get saved, good. Okay, um, break time. Thank you so much. Aren't we so, yeah, I'm leading the class this week. So, yeah. so I wasn't here early this morning at an emergency. Aren't we all so excited that Kevin is here to speak today? awesome so we're gonna we're gonna have grapes and they're really cool Minji prepared them for us so um, make sure everybody gets some grapes before you take a whole bunch don't take a bunch of grapes just take a little bit enjoy your break and come back um, before before 11 o'clock I realize I'm going really fast on this and this probably this probably should be like a three month course in itself. <laughs> um, but some of you will find it interesting and might want to read some more books on it, but um, I've I've been fascinated. So are there any questions on like me to explain any other point that I've gone really fast about? Any questions, comments? You okay? Just plow on. I, you like this? Goodness, I, sometimes I, I have this assumption that no one likes it for some reason. That Daniel Lehman said, "You must do that." I, he said, "That was the best thing that I ever you ever did." Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, um. Yes, ma'am. Pretty much, yeah. I'm not, there's no, I don't know what's going on in Asia, really. Uh, I don't know what's going on in Africa. Pretty much nothing until, until the Western missionaries started going there and teaching them to worship the way the Westerners worship and telling them that their music is of the devil. Like, and going to Korea and teaching them to do their church services like good Presbyterians. Oh, hand. Fuzzy. Is that where the like the antenna is down there? 
Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the church kind of grew into Europe and then from Europe to the rest, to the rest. Um, there were a few missionaries went early, like I think St. Thomas went to India. Um, in fact, I visited, when I was in Chennai, I visited the place where he went, you know, and they reckon, they reckon there's a fingernail of his there or something. <laughs> so weird. Did you see that? Yeah. Did you go at St. Thomas Mount up the top of that mountain with the, yeah, it's really funny. But I thought it was kind of weird. I mean, it was like, whoa, St. Thomas came here. Wow. That's pretty awesome. So, you know, India's, you know, Chennai, especially it's on the east coast of India, so it's a long way from Jerusalem. So. And then guys went to China. But, um, yeah, mo most of this is definitely Western. And sure, I because the Orthodox Church, really nothing much changed in the Orthodox Church. They're pretty much the same. Like, they dress the same. They, you know, the, this theology is like, which is good in one sense. But they're in a kind of a cultural, what we call a cultural time warp. Like um, Orthodox, like Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, like their priests wear the same thing as they wore like 2,000 years ago. Um, it's kind of weird. And so anyway, <laughs> like you, is it really? That's good. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So, what kind of music? What kind of music is it? Yeah. 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 That's really interesting because I'd, I'd love to know more about what kind of music. Where did that come from? Is it you know from the fifth century, the tenth century, the fifteenth? Yeah. Oh, really? They've got no instruments too. Yeah. So this isn't the whole story. There's no way I could do the whole story of all church history. This is pretty much, this is tracing back my line, if you will, or our line in Protestant Christianity going back. Because uh, I, can, I can trace spiritual, you know how you've got, you got your, your own, your, your physical family tree, but there's a spiritual family tree. And mine goes back to um, the Methodist church, which came from the Anglican church, but the Methodist church spiritually was lit up from the Moravians in Germany, uh, here, here in Eastern Germany. Um, and so, you know, I can trace my spiritual history back to East Germany. Goes to the John Wesley, John Wesley to my great-great-grandmother and down the line, you know. So you can kind of find, well, why do you wish, you know, where did you get saved and where did they get saved? Where did they get saved? That's how you trace your spiritual history. Like you could say, okay... You, you go down your mother's line, okay, how come she's a Christian in Korea? Well, it's because the missionaries came from, and then you go down the line, you know. If, you're, if you get saved, you know, in a Hawaiian church, congregational church in Hawaii, you go back to, Europe, back to New England and Finney. So you sort of trace this thing back. Yeah. And so part of my, once again, part of my history was, was from England, and so the, the hymns that I grew up with, Isaac Watts was an amazing guy. He was one of the first to break away from these psalms to writing hymns themselves. And what he would do, he would take, because, because hymns were so controversial in the church, um, he, would, he would take a psalm and he would paraphrase it. So it was kind of a gentle move from psalms to hymns. So when you look at his, his songs like, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past, it's, it's a paraphrase of a psalm. Um, 
What it, and what he did, he was, a, he was the son of a congregational um, minister, pastor in England, and he complained about how rubbish the music was. I don't know, if, have you ever complained about how rubbish the music was in the church you grew up in? I certainly did. I hated all the stupid organs and hymns and slow things. I wanted rock music and blah, blah, blah. Well, he complained to his father, and his father said, well, why don't you go and write some new ones, which he, which he did. So he went away and wrote, like, new, new hymns. Like, for every week, he wrote new hymns. So he wrote stacks of them. And, um, and I... <coughs> Oh God, our help in ages. And we used to sing this at our high school because our, our high school, believe it or not, every, every morning at our assembly, we'd meet in the assembly, we would have a hymn, a prayer, and a Bible reading every morning at our public high school. Yeah, so, we, so I, had, I, had, I had hymns on Sunday and on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> Who knows this song? This is one of the more famous of all Christian hymns from way back. Okay, what else have we got here? Um, John Newton was a, once again, he was a British slave trader. <laughs> Why? Why? Do you, do you like slave traders or something? He captained a slave ship selling sl African slaves. Okay? But he got saved. Yeah, but he got saved. And he wrote a hymn, which is probably the most famous hymn in all of Western Christianity and probably all of all Christianity. And it goes like this. This is the hymn, this is, news, this is America's hymn. Why do I say that? What did they sing on the steps of the, of the Capitol building? On 9-11, they sang this. Yeah. The songs that these guys wrote, they wrote them in uh, what they call common meter, which was... Um, so it's four lines, eight, six, eight, six, or something like that. And so they could, what they do is that they would write poetry in that format, and then they would write music, and then they could mix and match them. They could, so you can, that Amazing Grace, you could sing, Oh God, our help in ages past, to the tune of Amazing Grace, because they match. So. So they had very strict formats of poetry in, in the 18th century. There's common meter, long meter, and all this kind of stuff. So, then, um, so you could sing, how could I do it? Amazing Grace to, to the tune of, oh, I've got it. Da, 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 amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So I just changed the two. Or, oh, oh, what's amazing? Guys? Da, 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 oh, oh, God, our hope in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast. 
and our eternal home. There you go. So you just change them. So. Who's that? Who knows that? Paul Simon. Yes. He's probably singing it with the Black Mambasa, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, cool, huh? Now, Charles Wesley was the brother of John Wesley, who really started the revival. He was, they, they were Anglican, John Wesley was an Anglican preacher who went to Georgia in the US as a missionary, was an utter failure, and then on the, because basically he, he became an Anglican minister as a career opportunity. You go to Oxford, which he did, he went to Oxford, and then university, and then became a vicar, and thought, well, I'm going overseas, but he really wasn't saved. On the boat coming back to England, he met, oh, what's that guy's name? Oh, shoot, his brain goes, Peter... Anyway, he met a Moravian, some Moravian guys. These were this revival from Germany. And he met them and he was totally amazed at, you know, it was one of those, he met someone who loves Jesus more than he did. Okay, so, and so he went to a Moravian meeting in London and he got saved. There is, Ang Anglican vicar got saved. And he got so soundly saved that he went, uh, and he started preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it, I think he had a, it's pretty clear he had a he had a he had a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It, he didn't say he spoke in tongues, but it was it sounded pretty much like when you read his diary that uh, he had a sound. Anyway, whatever it was, he had the power of the Holy Spirit when he preached, and people would just fall down and get saved, and it was like crazy. Uh, in fact, it was so powerful that he got kicked out of the church. <laughs> they would they would not let him preach in the church, so he ended up preaching in the fields and, and, he would, and he preached right across England and some say that <laughs> no I'm <laughs> you guys watched um, Top no, was it Top Gear when they say some say um, no that probably the revival in, that he started in England probably saved England from a revolution like what happened in France that's what they say like historians reckon it caused such a change to the culture in Britain and Charles Wesley was his brother, and he wrote like 6,000 hymns. Okay, so Charles Wesley wrote things like this. Which is probably a story of getting saved. Then my chains fell off, my heart was free. There's actually some Jesus culture songs that stole some lines out of this. <laughs> stole. I mean, it's, it's public domain now, so they're allowed to do that. But they've taken lines from this hymn into some Jesus culture songs. Amazing love, how can it be that? Amazing love, how can it be that, that thou, my God, should die for me? It's ama amazing words in the song. And it gets to, it talks about revelation of God's love, and then my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. It's very good words. And he also wrote this one.
What's everyone thinking? Christmas! <laughs> okay, so, so Charles Wesley wrote the words to that hymn, but he didn't write the music. So the music was written by... I think he's a, a <laughs> Jewish German who ended up British. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, Felix Mendelssohn wrote that. Anyone heard of Felix Mendelssohn, the composer? Right. Felix Mendelssohn wrote this for the World's Fair in praise of the printing press. That tune, that tune was written in praise of the printing press for the World's Fair. So, that is a non-Christian tune that is now, everyone hears it, they think, Jesus. Right? Do you think Jesus when you hear that tune? Yeah, because you've been programmed, but it wasn't written that way. It was taken from the world and put to, and now is used for God's purpose. Can God use non-Christian music? He just did. He just did in that song. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we had revival in England, but then kind of spilled over to revival in the U.S., and this is pretty much... The U.S. is the U.S. because of these revivals. I mean, they probably don't teach you that in school because they're not allowed to, but um, this changed the shape of the United States. And the first, the first Great Awakening was in New England. Now, my son, who's here now, um, married a girl who grew up just out of Boston, and... Uh, so they live in Vermont now, and, and her, her dad is, uh, is uh, he builds log homes, so he's a bit of a, like a carpenter, woodworker kind of guy. And he's restoring one of those classic New England churches. You know, like, like the, you, you've ever seen Makuakaya Church down there? Although it's built out of lava rock, it's a classic New England church. You know what, I'm, you know what the little steeple thing? Anyone know what New England churches look like? Well, there's a whole bunch of them all around New England that are absolutely just dead now. No one there, and this one that he's, it, he's, he's um, like he's this broken down thing, and he's he's fixing it up. And so when I was when I was going around New England, I could see the history that happened, you know, during these times. That there's so many of these churches all around New England, but they're dying dying out now. But there was a huge revival, and um, what's his name? Jonathan Edwards uh, saw amazing anointing of God. There was a story about um, sailors on a ship coming into Boston Harbor. Falling down. As soon as the ship came into Boston Harbour, they fell, uh, um, you know, face down on the deck, repenting of their sins. So there was some. It was a huge, a uh, lot of people getting saved. All kinds of um, jerking and falling over and swooning and getting saved. Like crazy manifestations of the Holy Spirit happened right there in New England during those times. Uh, the second Great Awakening happened around uh, further south in. Um, especially around, around 1800 in around K Kentucky. Anyone from around that area? Nashville, Kentucky, you know, you know Tennessee. Um, and there were some guys there who, who started to hold camp, what they called camp meetings. 
See, up in New England, they would sing songs like they would sing British hymns, and they were kind of, I mean, New England was, well, it's called New England for a reason, okay? It was kind of another England. So they had, um, they sang, but out in the frontiers, they wanted something to put, to put their, you know, their foot, you know, hands are clapping and their foot is stomping. You know, they just wanted something to really get it going. And so they would, um, they would uh, set up uh, preaching platforms out in the, out in the, like in the forest, and thousands of people would just, you know, ride their horses and wagons, and they'd camp for the whole weekend and get preached at, like, full on. Now, you know the Southern Baptists are real strong, okay? The Methodists, all through the South, Methodists and Southern Baptists grew, like, during this time. So the Southern Baptists are strong because of these camp meetings. It was the Baptists and the Methodists that really took off during this time. And uh, why is the Bible Belt the Bible Belt? Because of this, okay? Huge revivals right across the south. And, um, but they, uh, a whole new form of singing came to be. So the hymns that were written like in England were like in praise of God. These gospel songs were all about getting saved. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. It's all about getting saved. There's power in the blood to, what, to save, being saved. Gospel songs written in the 19th century were, about, were a whole new genre of song. It was all about getting saved. So their meetings, once again, shifted from worshipping Jesus to preaching the gospel and getting saved. Their meetings were all about that. So we got some pictures. So this is obviously a photograph, but it's, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is kind of, this must have been a, a later, um, I, I found this photograph, it was one of the later camp meetings, a little bit more organized, but I've got some, I've got some others. And I will. So the, the singing kind of got a bit more up-tempo, right? Because they were, they, were, they were frontier people and they weren't like into holding hymn books and singing like that. They were, yeah. Okay, that's what they look like. Yeah. So they'd have these preaching platforms. And what would happen was a preacher would get up, he'd preach his heart out for an hour. People get saved, then he'd sit down, another one would get up, and they'd like go all day preaching, and just people getting saved all day. Okay? Yeah. And they were just like crazy. And they had all kinds of manifestations. Um, there was one newspaper reporter went there and he said he observed about 500 people getting as if a machine gun had mowed them all down. Can you imagine 500 people getting slain in the spirit all at once? Kaboom! They had some severely powerful manifestations. You think Toronto was great? These guys are awesome. Okay. Yeah. See the platform? They got multiple preachers. They just tell you, this is like relays, you know, preaching relays. Like, tag, you're it. <laughs> Let's go, you know. They would go flat out. Now, what's happening here? Someone's been slain in the spirit there. Or <laughs> but here's some more. Here's some. There's a, few, there's a few people getting whacked by the Holy Spirit there. Yeah, drunk. They would be drunk as, yeah. But the preachers were like fiery.
Okay, what's the content of these songs? Power of the blood of Jesus to save. It's about the blood of Jesus for salvation. And there are all kinds of offshoots, of course. Um, my, my, I got this friend say, if it's, if it's weird, it's probably started in the US. Um, do you know who those guys are called? Those, those, that's the Shakers, okay? You've heard, no, there's Quakers and there's Shakers. There's, these are the Shakers. You've heard of Shaker Furniture? Anyone heard of Shaker Furniture? Yeah, okay. Well, these, this was... Um, this, this, this move of God, well, yeah, sort of, I don't know if you call it a move, I guess it's a move of God, but um, there's this lady uh, from England who actually got married and then had four quick children, and then her husband died or something, but then she had a vision and so she went over to the US and started preaching, and um, she, there's some really good stuff, in fact, when you, I saw a documentary on the Shakers, and there's still a few of them still living today, um, they had a very simple, um, artistic kind of, like they, they built these communities and it's kind of a bit like Amish houses and communities like that, but their, their furniture was very well done. In fact, Shaker furniture is like very valuable because very, very uh, sort of got a sim- simple beauty about it, you know, kind of like Apple computers, kind of, what's the word, um, min- minimalist kind of. But they, they, they lived their lives of ser- uh, in community and servant. But there was one problem. They didn't believe in marriage. Uh, so they died out. Hmm. <laughs> no, that's a fact. <laughs> I think she must have had a pretty bad experience with her four quick kids. And it sort of, yeah. But there's amazing history. But it's really, there's some interesting things there. One, that, but they did these line dancing kind of worship gizmos thing. And, um, of course, the interesting thing there, men and women separate, um, black and white together, you might notice there. Um, so they had uh, a lot of, lot of the moves of God. There was no racial prejudice in moves of God. It was, you, you notice that, you know, in the camp meetings and Azusa Street revivals, it's all black and white mixed. Um, but now this, we've sort of got a spiritual apartheid going on in the U.S. at the moment, and it's kind of a bit like this thing. There's a few white people there. <laughs> In fact, I think one of the elders is white. There's a white guy there. Let me close.
it's just a, an art of singing, preaching that these guys come up with. It's just totally awesome. No, no, it's just the end. It's just kind of the end. The funny part about it, they go, they go in for all the robes too, which is kind of funny. I don't know. See, once, once again, it's gospel. It's all about being saved again, you know. I'm saved, I'm saved. Let's rejoice. I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. Go down the front. Let me close.
I should put up a white mega church next <laughs> to see the. Oh, are you guys? Have you seen that? There's, there's these videos. There's, there's these two black ladies doing a doing a demo, uh, doing a, like an acting out what a white church is like. <laughs> it's really funny on YouTube. I forget what it's called. Just well, no, I'd have to look up white. You can you can do it at home. I don't know what it's called. It's probably black ladies acting like a white church. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, this is this one here's from Africa. Um... Anyway, there we go. So now back to the white church. Okay, here we go. Okay. <laughs> we had the praise break, yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm holding it from the wrong end Okay. Um, yes, so the, the phenomenon kind of happened around also in the 19th century was a preacher and a soloist together, or a, 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 a yeah, preacher and soloist. And D.L. Moody was a preacher, and Ira Sankey was his uh, was his singer, and he would have this little reed organ that he would he would um, he he would play songs, and then Moody would preach. So once again, he had singing and preaching, and uh, that's it. That's Oh, Moody there. So he had an evangelist and a soloist working together. And that's him. That's a picture of Moody preaching. This is in Crystal Palace in London. So there's an American now. We're going back the other way. He's preaching in London. And that's Ira Sankey there sitting in front of his little organ. Dion Moody would say he reckoned that Sankey would move more hearts with his singing than he did with his preaching. So the two would work together. Uh, and, that kind of, um, and that kind of music and evangelism thing working together... Once again, it's not worship, he's preaching, but it's, it's, using, it's using music to move hearts. Um, we want to look at, uh, of course, William Booth and the Salvation Army. He, w- he was a Methodist uh, minister who, uh, who saw the poor in London. You know, people, in fact, the first time I ever saw people sleeping on the streets was in London. I mean, when I grew up, no one's, there was no homeless people in New Zealand when I grew up. Zero. Like, I didn't see any ever. But as soon as I got to London, I saw these people sleeping in doorways. And, and so William Booth saw that. Uh, what would happen was the people would get saved, and then they'd work hard, and, and then they'd get rich, and then leave the poor behind. And so he had a heart for the poor people, and, um, but he wanted to relate to them. So the, the, when people became Christians, they became respectable, and then they'd go to church, and they'd sing these respectable songs. So you had Christian hymns in the church, and then... The other, the other crowd would be in the bars singing, singing drinking songs and getting drunk. And he would try to, what he would do was he would take music from the bars, okay, to reach the common people. And uh, he, used, he used the pop music of the day, which was brass bands, okay. That was the pop music. And there's the old boy himself. In fact, he was, he was a real pioneer. He was the first person to actually use motor cars as a transport. He would a tour in a car 
Um, there's actually a movie. There's actually a movie, a actual old movie of him in a car. So he's the first evangelist to use cars. But he, the format he used, you know, like YWAM. YWAM is now our metaphor is we're a family. YWAM is a family. We used to we used to get organised like a business, you know, with directors and all this kind of thing. But now we're organised like a family. He he organised his. Um, into an army, so he dressed everyone up in military gear, and they had like their their leaders weren't pastor; they were called like captains and lieutenants and stuff like that. Uh, and he got the ladies singing too, and they they used tambourines and piano accordions, and they sounded a bit like this. Rock on. <laughs> Anyone heard of Salvation Army Band in their life? Ever heard one? Oh, not many. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. So he, th believe it or not, that was the pop music of the day, right? So he, he related to them. Um, hang on, did I miss out? Like, there's a slide that I've got. I'll show you the songs. Oh, yeah, I'll do this one. Okay, here we go. Sorry, I skipped that one. But for you, I'll do it. Uh, that's your slide. This is an example. What he would do, he would take music from the bars and he would put, he would, he would take songs and change the words. He wouldn't even write new words. He'd just change them slightly. So the song Champagne Charlie was uh, sung with Bless His Name, He Sets Me Free. Okay? Um, Pretty Louise became living, living beneath the shade of the cross. Okay? And I traced her little footsteps in the snow became, oh, the blood of Jesus cleanses white as snow. Okay? And uh, Minnie Darling, Come and Wander became Blessed Saviour, Now Behold Me. <laughs> so it's kind of not popular to do that anymore. Get, do you know any? Yeah, not? Yeah. What, what, you, you know something? Yeah, not many, not many do. Yeah. Um, I know, um, what's the name? Um, David Roos, he, he took some songs, just used non-Christian songs like, I want to know what love is, I want you to show me. He actually did that in the worship time, you know, he didn't even change the words, you know. And I think he did, um, Money Can't Buy You Love, Can't Buy Me Love, which is biblical truth, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, Alistair, who was here this morning, he did, um, he did, uh, no woman, no cry, and he, and he changed it to, was it, no Jesus, no cry, or something like that, yeah, it was kind of funny. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of not popular, I think, I think, like Christian music is not much different from non-Christian now anyway, so you don't really need to use the, because there was, the, the reason he did that was there's such a huge difference between church music and people's music, okay, which was exactly what I went through, because my church music was these hymns, you know, holding our hymn book, now thank we all, you know, and dun, 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 you know, that I learned with my friends at, you know, at, um, at school. 
So, so we then brought their music into the church and why are you bringing the devil's instrument into the church? You see, well, it's happened before and before and before. So it's always happening. Okay, hang on, we did that. Skip, skip. Here we go. Chung, chung, chung. Did we do what was that one? Oh, 20th century. Okay, we're into the 20th century now. Okay, big thing happened at the turn of the century. What happened at the turn of the century? Biblically, oh, shoot. Anyway, Pentecostal renewals, okay, beginning of the 20th century. Um, 1904, Welsh Revival, okay? They still sing hymns. In fact, I didn't hear any hymns last, when I, I have been to a rugby stadium in Wales and I've heard them singing a hymn a hundred years later wasn't quite a hundred, nearly a hundred years later. So they had such a revival in Wales, people getting saved, totally like bars were shut down. What's that? Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I heard that at Cardiff, yeah. I heard them singing that. They still lost. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. And then 1906, uh, the... Uh, Azusa Street Revival basically changed, changed history. was started by this uh, a one-eyed black man called Willie Seymour. One eye, Willie Seymour. <laughs> Seriously. He had one eye and he was called Willie Seymour. Will, William, J, William Seymour, William Seymour, okay? And there is, uh, that's the little, uh, was, I think it was a converted stable in Azusa Street, Los Angeles, where the revival happened. Uh, I've got a little video on, uh, a little British guy doing this video on him, but uh, I'll play that first, yeah.
So Willie Seymour's, um, when you trace him back, he, he, uh, he, was in, he ended up in a Bible school in Houston, Texas. Now, what had happened was, at the turn of the century, like from, you know, from 1899 to 1900, there was a guy called uh, James Fox Parham who, sta who started a, um, a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas. And he set his, uh, his class uh, a Bible study, and they were to go away and to study what is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then he went off to preach, and he came back, and when he came back, one of the ladies was already speaking in tongues. So they discovered that speaking in tongues was an evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, they, and so they started getting filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues in the scene. Then, and he moved down to Houston, Texas, and he started a Bible school down there. Now, Willie Seymour, being black, could not sit in his class because of the Jim Crow laws down there. So he sat outside the class and listened through the door. So he learned about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Houston, Texas, even though they had these Jim Crow laws, which I looked at, who's Jim Crow? Apparently there's no such person called Jim Crow, but it's, uh, <laughs> who, knows, who knows about this stuff? You know, yeah. And it's just all the segregation laws that they had down there. Well, that's weird. Get rid of that. Okay. Okay. And um, then he, he received this invitation. When he was down in Houston, he received this invitation to Los Angeles to pastor a church. So he came up there, to started preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so they kicked him out. Then he started a house church there, and people started coming, and then people started getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he moved into that building, that building there, uh, in Azusa Street. And I think, you, you may not have noticed it, but they, they, there was a picture there of him kneeling down. Apparently he had these like milk crates stacked up, and he wouldn't stand up and preach. He would just get on his knees, pray, and, and put his head between these milk crates just to get out of the way, and the Holy Spirit would just start moving. And their meetings would just go on for hours and hours, right into the night. That he wouldn't preach to their music or anything, just the Holy Spirit would just move. Boom. And people getting saved, filled with the Spirit. And there was, you know, black and white together. And there was one guy um, who started doing this um, newsletter, and it would go all around the world telling about it. And, uh, of course, obviously a lot of controversy. Um, the Assemblies of God came from this, the Elam Church, the Apost uh, Apostolic Church. Um, all the Pentecostal churches basically sprang out of this move. And then guys came there. Same, same thing that happened in Toronto. People came there, picked up this fire, and then it, it lit all over the place. Yeah. It is difficult yeah, to exaggerate how important that was. Yeah. Oh, by the way... In the first 50 years, the way to get filled with the Holy Spirit was to tarry. <laughs> tarry is an old English word meaning wait. And the reason they had to wait for the Holy Spirit, so you had to go into this room and sit and wait. And then it hit you. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. But, um, and the reason they did that was because Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem or wait in Jerusalem. So they had this, because they were reading the King James Bible, they said they had to tarry in Jerusalem, okay? So they had to wait, and so they just waited. But in about 1948, they had this um, revival up in Canada, um, North Battleford, Saskatchewan. Who knows where that is? It's in Saskatchewan. You're very good. It's a little town there. And they had this move called, and it was called the, uh, what do they call that move? 
forget. Anyway, so they come up with this new thing about laying on of hands. And so from that time on, from 1948 onwards, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit by getting hands laid on you. So that's a piece of useless information. Yeah. But there's this guy I met who started a Bible school in, in Tauranga, New Zealand, and I got introduced to him because um, he was baptized in the Spirit in the 1950s. Like, I mean, not charismatic. This is early Pentecostal. And he was telling us the story about he had to, how he had to tarry to wait for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's cracking me up, man. But anyway, okay, healing revivals from 1948 on, huge moves of God, healing revivals, words of knowledge. Um, William Brannan was a guy who, who was never wrong with a word of knowledge. He would, people would come up onto the stage, he'd say, your name is and you're from and this is what's wrong with you. And he was never, never wrong. So some amazing moves of God. Yeah, William Brannan. Down. He was, was what's he, he might have been Canadian too. Uh, anyway, um, huge revivals up in Vancouver, BC. This is in 1948-1950. Unfortunately, he went off the rails a bit, thought he was Elijah, and God, I, I think God killed him. I don't know, it's hard to say. He got killed in a car crash. So he went off the rails a little bit, but, he, but his anointing was... was so there were, and a lot of people like T.L. Osmond, a lot, of the, a lot of the ministries spread out from there. A lot of healing ministries came out in the, in the 1950s. Okay. Oh, that's what it's called, yeah, Latter Rain Revival. The Latter Rain Revival. And they, they basically said that, you know, the Holy Spirit now is the early rain and, and this is the latter rain. And they're the ones also that, that came up with this whole thing of the tabernacle, the restoration of the tabernacle of David, which I actually think is not quite right anyway. So any of you who think that that says in Acts 15 about restoring the tabernacle of David, they're not referring to worship, but some people think they are. So there are two schools of thought on that one. Uh, just ignore that if you don't know about not really care. Oh, and Billy Graham Crusades came up in the 50, late 50s. I saw a story on how, why Billy Graham became popular. Turns out the FBI, who were on this big anti-communist uh, anti thing in the 50s, 60s, um, persuaded some of the newspapers to make Billy Graham famous. And I thought, if, if that's true, man. So, so, so then they, they wanted Christian heroes. And they wanted to be anti-communist. So they thought being Christian was a good way of being anti-communist. So you get a whole bunch of people saved. The U.S. was crazy in those days. The whole J. Edgar Hoover and the whole FBI thing. Um, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> Billy Graham, still one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. Still alive today. Must be pretty stinking old, yeah. But, and, yeah, so he's had a lot of influence on Lauren Cunningham, I think, you know. So I think when he dies, I would say Lauren Cunningham is one of the senior Christians in, in um, he's the senior Christian of, of the U.S., yeah. He's, like, been pastor to the nation. I think he was, like, pastor to about four presidents. Yeah, yeah. Will he? Whoa, whoa. Thank you, Google. Yeah. Yeah. I actually went to a Billy Graham crusade. I think I was about eight years old in Auckland and uh, saw people, you know, what they do is they sing just, remember, just, just as I am. They sing that song. Anyone heard that song? It was the, it was the big invitation song, you know. 
I come, you know that one, so. Um, so they would, they would have um, George Beverly Shea would be the soloist and then he would be the preacher and they'd have big choirs singing, preach and then invitation. The same thing again, music, preaching, invitation. So Billy Graham would do that too. Uh, some of the songs in the, from the 50 to 65, okay, here's one. 1959, this is hot stuff in 59, guys. We all know that country music is God's music, don't we? <laughs> Things that you know that is love. And of course, God only uses three, four time. Yeah. <laughs> this one anyone whoa no one knows these songs anymore we used to sing it <laughs> okay fancy that I, I used to teach this and people would know the song but not anymore eh? one two Three, one. Oh, someone knows the song. Who knows the song? One, two, three, one, two, three. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, gentlemen, take your ladies for this waltz. Sorry. Okay, sorry, I gotta get going. I'm having too much fun. Sorry. Sorry. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. Isn't this awesome? 1963. I was 10 years old when this came out. Uh, this is what Catherine Kuhlman used to use for her meetings. You know, she's a big one on this song. Just touch me. Do you like that piano playing? Okay, all together. Here we go. All together. Let's sing it all together. Here we go. Two, three. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all the joy. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. But, but, see, once again, th th that's a testimony song. That's not worship, it's not praise, nothing. It's just a testimony. It's a thanks song, okay? So it's about that. Something happened in the 60s in the charismatic renewal. The Lord gave a word to a young man who was leading some songs. And the Lord said, don't just sing about me, sing to me. Lead the people to me. And so, scripture and song and the charismatic renewal. It was the early 1960s when the Dallas began to journey together. 
touching the status quo and shaking church music to its foundation, these courageous worshipers presented an entirely new approach to entering the presence of God with singing. Scripture and Song, the recording company they formed, it quickly jettisoned them to the forefront of a movement of God as the words praise and worship would take on new meaning. Praise and worship, praise and worship. It was there. The first recording released in 1968 is simply called Scripture and Song. It's considered by many to be the beginning of what we now call contemporary praise and worship music. The beginning. Ju ju Sing to him. It's really quite a revelation in a way. But um, as I began to do it, I realized that it was a fundamental thing. And ever since that time, it's been foundational to what we've done to try to lead the people to God. Scripture and Song was a pioneer in the recording of praise and worship music as a charismatic movement swept the earth. Together, David and Dale formed. It's Kona, Kona. I think really scripture and song was putting tools in people's hands. I mean, that was really what, what our mandate was, um, just to teach, to instruct, to educate people. And therefore we thought, well, how can we do this? And the best way we knew was put the recordings out and then put a couple of books out. First live. Probably still the top selling artist in New Zealand, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you guys might not know this, but if you think I'm the grandfather of the School of Worship, he is the great grandfather. Because he, it was Bob Fitz that started the school, and Bob used to work with him and record with him that Blessed be the Lord God. Um, Bob wrote that here in, uh, when he was uh, on DTS up at King's and worked a lot. So, pretty well. David was the 
main, he's been probably the, the foundational influence of praise and worship into this mission uh, in, in many, many years. So he comes here about three months of the year. Um, we didn't actually get, get him down. Uh, I think he left before the school started. Is that right, Sam? Did we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's been, uh, he, he teaches often uh, with us. Yeah. So, but the, the key there, the key there is this thing of the, the they say that at that first recording, um, some say that, that that was the beginning of, of the contemporary worship movement and scripture and song was foundational. And it certainly is in Wairam. Uh, they've laid the foundations of worship in Wairam. Um, not, not <laughs> you want to see music in Wairam before the charismatic renewal, like in the 60s, it's so funny. Anyway, um, let's not dwell on that. That first live album, that uh, Praise the Name of Jesus album, um, Liz was there at, at that recording. Yeah, yeah. And so when I look at that, that's, this is where I join the story um, because those pictures, pictures of crowd, um, some of the groups there with some of our fellow YWAMers were in those recordings. Yeah. Um, and I got filled with the Spirit right when this was going on in 1971. So the reason I'm here is because of this. The charismatic renewal, once again, the Holy Spirit went not was not just in the penny. See, in the first, um, only the first fifty years of the twentieth century, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was was pretty well mostly in the Pentecostal churches, assemblies of God, apostolic. But uh, from nineteen sixty, late sixties onwards, people from Methodists like me, I was a Methodist, right? We're getting filled with the Spirit. Baptists were getting filled with the Spirit. Anglicans, Catholics, Catholics even were getting filled with the Holy Spirit, which upset a few Protestants, but God was still actually blessing Catholics. You know. <laughs> so there was a huge movement, especially in uh, in Notre Dame and in, uh, in Michigan, um, huge Catholic charismatic community there, in Ann Arbor. Yeah. And of course, this was the baby boom generation of which I'm with. You know, you've heard of the baby boom generation. All the babies that were born after the war, all the men came back, like my father went to war, came back, got married, had kids, me. <laughs> okay, so there's a lot of us around, you know, we're like a, they say we're like a, like a snake that swallowed a pig, you know, we sort of, the big thing moves down, you know, we're just a big lump, we're a lump in the, in the, the, the age profile. You know. Okay, anyway, so we all started getting saved. Was, this was kind of the long hair, hippie sort of thing. So there were long, there were hippies, dropouts, but then some of them were getting saved. And in the Western United States, they called it the Jesus Revolution. And so guys kind of look like this. And um, they started bringing their guitars. But when you listen to these songs, they're s still not worship. They're just, they're just Christians singing songs, you know. This is a group called Love Song. They basically went to Calvary uh, Chapel and they got, come, come and sing your songs, boys. You know, you get saved now. Come and sing your songs. So there they are singing their songs. And uh, it's Chuck Gerard there on the right. I don't know if you heard of Chuck Gerard. Uh, no one's heard of this? Man, you guys need to. Oh, you've heard it. Good. Yeah. I mean, this song's a welcome back. You know, welcome. It's like it's nothing to do with worship. The funniest thing is looking at the crowd. Wait till they get to the crowd shot. <laughs> a bunch of space cadets. All beards along here. 
That's what I looked like when I was 20. The hair was down to here. Mm. Yeah, yeah no, they're, they're going to start something now. I bought one of their first albums, Love Song, you know, 1970-something, yeah. Sorry, guys, I'm, I'm, I know I'm full of nostalgia and everything, but I get like that. This is, this is your history. This is we, you know, it's part of your spiritual heritage. Okay, enough of that. Okay. heard of Keith Green? Never heard of him before. You all, oh, you know, no, I, can, I can imagine, okay, from India, yeah. You know, who's heard this song before? Hands up. So, you guys, oh, oh well, no one's answering anything, okay. Once again, it's not worship, it's just, it's a testimony song, yeah. Okay, here's some songs from the 1970s. La Larry Norman was had this long white hair, and he was probably the first to do Christian rock and roll. Got all, he, he was the first Christian kind of rock and roll guy and he got absolutely slandered by so many parts of the church. You know. He's the rock that doesn't roll. That doesn't roll. Okay, what else we got here? Karen, Laff Karen Lafferty is a YWAM lady, still in YWAM. Wrote this, wrote this song in 1971. Oh, come on. Okay. Andre Crouch was interesting. Here's, here's one black guy who actually ended up being popular in the white church for some reason. Funky music, man. Oh, he was real popular. 
Okay, blender. I don't know. Something blended worship was like uh, if you didn't like modern music and some people didn't like hymns and they sort of put them all together. It's like putting worship in a blender. Uh, you have you have like hymns and modern ones together. Anyone experience that kind of church? You know, you have a bit of both. Yeah. yeah you sort of try to please everyone. What happens when you try to please everyone? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's upset. Everyone, oh, whatever. Um, there was a. There's still a bit of a move on this contemplative, you know, sort of, you know, Taze. Anyone heard of Taze stuff in France? You know, um, um, big move in indigenous peoples like uh, Native American, um, First Nation people, Maori, um, Samoan, Maori, doing their own stuff. Um, not not too much rave DJ stuff now. They, England's kind of pretty weird on this stuff. You know, they like to do lots of. Like techno churches and stuff, dooch, 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 dooch. hasn't gone down too well. Um, rap, I, I reckon rap is awesome for for worship leading, but unfortunately, the only rap I've seen has been solo stuff, which isn't much good for anyone because no one can understand what you're saying. Uh, um, rap, I think rap is good if uh, if you if you get short phrases that you get everyone to repeat. Yeah, when I say Jesus, yeah, that kind of stuff. And I think that's awesome, you know. Yeah, if you can. Yeah, no, verses are okay as long as you understand, if you can understand it. Because there's not much point rapping something cool if no one's knowing what you're saying, because it's not for you, it's for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a poetic form which I think has 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 artistic value, but it's it hasn't been introduced very well, uh, because I mean, wh I, what I've seen on this campus, and I've seen a, quite a bit of rapping on this campus, is a guy will pick up the mic and just perform and then run off. And I thought, so what? You've got you've got to have people who understand leading people with with a with with an artistic form. Yeah, it's not much point just. Performing because what happens is people come in, you know, do their rap thing, and everyone goes, yeah! but it's not actually, it's not actually in response to the truth. It's just they're all just excited about it, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, they do that, and everyone goes, yeah, you know, you know. So what's the point? You know, but I would love to see it personally, if, especially if you got, if you got some things you could repeat. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, good. Yeah. My my problem, one problem I have here is that whenever you pull a different kind, well, it's not a problem. Uh, one one thing we might notice is that when you pull a different kind of music style on, say, a Monday morning or Thursday night, everyone gets excited. But we don't remember that one that Dima did that that country thing that he used to do. Everyone would go wild, you know. And it's like, why don't we do more styles? But you've got to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or. <laughs> well, you got one. You got to be good at it. You've got to understand your. You've got to understand your art, and you've got to understand your your ministry. So, if you to put the art and the ministry together takes real skill. Yeah. Oh, totally. Just it's just yeah. And everyone gets excited, but not about the ministry. You see. So, if you can, if you're good enough at your art, and you can understand your ministry in leading people. You'd be able to pull it off. Like I said, the words have got to be accessible to the people. You've got to be able to connect with the truth. And if you can connect with the truth, it doesn't really matter what style you have. Connecting with the truth is, is your main event. So whatever, so pull a funky style, you know, like even that, like Andre Couch, you know, the sort of black sort of funk thing, you know. Um, what's his name? Does that? Um, you know, keyboard player who's coming next year. No, well, no, he, Aaron Barker. He he can pull a he can pull a. But Jay Thomas, yeah, he pull. Jay Thomas, Jay Thomas knows how to do it. Yeah, he knows how to do it. Um, okay, twenty first century. Things 24/7 prayer movement. That's probably the biggest thing in the, that I've seen happen in this century. Um, oh, sorry, we're not going to listen to any. Okay, the lessons the lessons from history you can read in your notes, so I won't do them. Okay, Bas- basically it's it's to do it's to do with cultural clashes and um, yeah, whatever you can read it. Okay. Oh, okay, I'll put it up. Um, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's a cycle of um, mu- music separation of the world and the church and music, and then they integrate it, and then there's conflict, and then there's renewal, and then once again there's separation. I, I lived through a separate when I when I was a teenager, there was separation between the church and the world's music. We started to integrate it, but there was conflict. Um, but now I think we're up in the renewal and we may be heading possibly towards a separation right now. Yeah. Uh, the other stuff you can read. So here we are, 2,000 years. And here we are in 2014. Thank you, Kevin. Yes, so we are part of a big story. Um, and... So we need, yeah, we, like he said from the beginning, it humbles us. We know that we're a part of this big story. We know that um, what we do is we just have to follow the Lord. We have to follow what he has given us, um, the style that he's put in us, because each and every one of us writes songs in different styles. We get to um, portray that. We get to um, lead worship in in the ways that he's given to us, um, and it's 
And I think in all of this, it's what has God put in you and what is he doing right now? What is he saying? How, how to lead, how the styles for songs, um, the instruments to use. Don't be somebody else, but we can, we can like um, use the foundations from the past and say thank you. And can, it's our platform to where we're going in the future, you know. So it's, it's really cool. And I've never heard it like this before, so... It's really, really cool, and I love, you know, even the fact that William Booth changed the songs of pub, pub songs and changed them into worship. You know, the fact that that happened. <laughs> Imagine what we can do today. <coughs> Imagine if, if we just put our minds to it with the Holy Spirit, what we can do today for his glory. So thank you guys for this morning. Thank you, Kevin. Let's just pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit for teaching us through Kevin, and we ask that you would open our hearts and minds, give us your creativity um, and sensitivity to your spirit to do the things that you have called us to do and to lead people into that encounter with you, Lord. Um, and some of us who will be singing songs, whether they're leading to you or whether they're leading out and performing songs for your glory, I just I thank you, Lord, that you have... Um, You've placed each and every single one of us in your story for your glory, Father, for a purpose. And we pray that through this room, through every single one of us, you will touch the nations and you will touch the whole earth. Um, and we want to see people saved through what you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. So have lunch, one o'clock for, for outreach meeting in here, one, one till two. Please come on time.